standing on the platform of truth. Pioneer Health and Missions. The Doctrine of the Trinity, a controverted topic that has become a discussion in the past several years, particularly among Seventh-day Adventists. Is it biblical, and was it always part of the Seventh-day Adventist Church? How is it that one God can be three, and is Jesus Christ the Son of God, or is this a role that Christ took upon Himself for the plan of salvation? These are questions among many others that many people are studying and trying to understand today. An article published in the Review and Herald in 1994 makes the following statement. Adventist beliefs have changed over the years under the impact of present truth. Most startling is the teaching regarding Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. The Trinitarian understanding of God, now part of our fundamental beliefs, was not generally held by the early Adventists. Was the Trinitarian understanding of God, which is one of the Seventh-day Adventist fundamental beliefs today, indeed not held by the early Adventists? The goal of this presentation is to allow the Seventh-day Adventist pioneers to speak for themselves, to see what it is that they had to say with respect to this doctrine and the identity of God. We will also consider the fundamental beliefs or principles as they used to be called, that were in place during the entire ministry of Ellen White in order to come to a better understanding of what the church of her time believed as a whole. This in and of itself should help us understand why there has been so much conversation on this topic and why we should consider this subject more deeply and take it to heart. We are now going to examine what the founders of the Seventh-day Adventist movement had to say on this subject. J. N. Andrews was a thorough and studious intellectual and theologian who became a minister at the early age of 21. He was able to reproduce the entire New Testament from memory and could read the Bible in seven different languages. He became the first Seventh-day Adventist missionary to travel to Western Europe in order to establish the Advent work in Switzerland. Andrews' leadership and involvement in the evangelistic work of the early Seventh-day Adventist Church was monumental. What did he believe about the identity of God and Jesus Christ? Let us read about it from his own writings. The doctrine of the Trinity, which was established in a church by the Council of Nice, A.D. 325. This doctrine destroys the personality of God and His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The infamous measures by which it was forced upon the church, which appear upon the pages of ecclesiastical history, might well cause every believer in that doctrine to blush. J. N. Andrews, Review and Herald, March 6, 1855. Every member of the human family, except Adam, has had parents, and every one has had beginning of days. And indeed, with two exceptions, everyone has had end of life. Even the angels of God have all had beginning of days so that they would be as much excluded by this language as the members of the human family. And as to the Son of God, he would be excluded also, for he had God for his Father, and did, 
at some point in the eternity of the past have beginning of days. J. N. Andrews, Review and Herald, September 7, 1869 That God is the fountain and source of immortality is plain from the statement of Paul. He speaks thus of God the Father, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. 1 Timothy 6.16 This text is evidently designed to teach that the self-existent God is the only being who, of himself, possesses this wonderful nature. Others may possess it as derived from him, but he alone is the fountain of immortality. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the source of this life to us. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. John 5.26 As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. John 6.57 The Father gives us this life in his Son. And this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. 1 John 5.11.12 These scriptures do clearly indicate that Christ is the source of endless life, and that those only have this who have Christ. J. N. Andrews, Review and Herald, January 27, 1874, page 52. J. N. Andrews, one of the main pioneers of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, along with all of the other ministers of the movement, upheld and taught the biblical truth that Jesus Christ is indeed the only begotten Son of God. James Springer White, a powerful public evangelist who not only participated with William Miller, Joseph Bates and other preachers in announcing the near advent of our Lord in the 1840s, but also became the first great apostle of the Seventh-day Adventist movement. But what did James White believe about God and Jesus Christ? Did he believe God was a trinity? Here is what he had to say about this subject. The gospel of the Son of God is the good news of salvation through Christ. When men fell, angels wept. Heaven was bathed in tears. The Father and the Son took counsel, and Jesus offered to undertake the cause of fallen men. He offered to die that men might have life. The Father consented to give His only Beloved, and the good news resounded through heaven and on earth that a way was opened for men's redemption. As fundamental errors, we might class with this counterfeit Sabbath other errors which Protestants have brought away from the Catholic Church such as sprinkling for baptism, the Trinity, the consciousness of the dead and eternal life in misery. The mass who have held these fundamental errors have doubtless done it ignorantly. But can it be supposed that the Church of Christ will carry along with her these errors till the judgment scenes burst upon the world? We think not. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. This class who live just prior to the second advent will not be keeping the traditions of men, Neither will they be holding fundamental errors relative to the plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. Jesus prayed that his disciples might be one, as he was one with the Father. This prayer did not contemplate one disciple with twelve heads, but twelve disciples 
made one in object and effort in the cause of their master. Neither are the Father and the Son parts of the three-one God. They are two distinct beings, yet one in the design and accomplishment of redemption. The redeemed from the first who shares in the great redemption to the last all ascribe the honor and glory and praise of their salvation to both God and the Lamb. The way spiritualizers have disposed of or denied the only God and our Lord Jesus Christ is first using the old unscriptural Trinitarian creed that Jesus Christ is the eternal God, though they have not one passage to support it, while we have plain scripture testimony in abundance that He is the Son of the eternal God. The Father was greater than the Son in that He was first. The Son was equal with the Father in that He had received all things from the Father. These, among many other statements, give us a clear understanding of what James White had to say about the doctrine of the Trinity. He was a firm believer in the only true God and His only beloved and begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Joseph Bates was the oldest member of our pioneers and became the first Seventh-day Adventist local conference president back in 1861. He was one of the diligent Bible students who laid the foundations of our faith. He was also recognized as a spiritual leader and a courageous man who was mainly responsible for bringing the Seventh-day Sabbath to the Advent people. Keeping this in mind, let us consider what it is that he taught about God. Was God a trinity to him? Here is what he had to say about this subject. One more thing. Much derision is made about those of our company that have joined the Shakers. I say it is a shame to them first to have preached so clearly and distinctly the speeding coming of our Lord Jesus Christ personally to gather his saints and then to go and join the Shakers in their faith, that he, Jesus, came spiritually in their mother Ann Lee more than 70 years ago. This without doubt in my mind is owing to their previous teaching and belief in a doctrine called the Trinity. How can you find fault with their faith while you are teaching the very essence of that never, no never to be understood doctrine? We believe that Peter and his master settled this question beyond controversy, Matthew 16, 13 through 19. And I cannot see why Daniel and John has not confirmed that Christ is the Son and not God the Father. How Daniel can explain his vision of the seventh chapter if Christ was God. Here he sees one like the Son and it cannot be proved that it was any other person of man. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom by the Ancient of Days. Then John describes one seated on a throne with a book in his right hand, and he distinctly saw Jesus come up to the throne and take the book out of the hand of him that sat thereon. Now if it is possible to make these two entirely different transactions appear in one person, then I could believe that God died and was buried instead of Jesus, and that Paul was mistaken when he said, now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, and that Jesus also did not mean what he said when he asserted that he came from God and was going to God, and much more, if necessary, to prove the utter absurdity of such a faith. Joseph Bates, writing to William Miller, shown in Past and Present Experience, 1848. My parents were members of long standing in the Congregational Church with all of their converted children thus far, and anxiously hoped that we would also unite with them. But they embraced some points in their faith which I could not understand. I will name two only, their mode of baptism and doctrine of the Trinity. My father, who had been a deacon of long standing with them, 
labored to convince me that they were right in points of doctrine. I informed him that my mind was troubled in relationship to baptism. He said, I had you baptized when an infant. I answered that that might all be according to his faith, but the Bible taught that we must first believe and then be baptized. Mark 16, 16 and 1 Peter 3:21. But I was not capable of believing when I was an infant. Respecting the Trinity, I concluded that it was an impossibility for me to believe that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, was also the Almighty God, the Father, one and the same being. I said to my father, if you can convince me that we are one in this sense, that you are my father and I your son, and also that I am your father and you my son, then I can believe in the Trinity. Joseph Bates in his autobiography, 1868. But you say God is a spirit. There is no doubt, but that his spirit pervades all space and everything in it that has life. Joseph Bates, Opening the Heavens, 1846. Joseph Bates, just as James White, firmly believed and taught that God was the Father of Christ and that Christ was the only begotten Son of God. J. N. Loughborough was the son of a Methodist minister, yet he joined the Adventists as a result of J. N. Andrews' work back in 1852. Within only two years' time, at the age of 22, he was ordained as a minister of the soon-to-become Seventh-day Adventist Church. He became recognized as the church's first historian and published numerous books over the years. So what did Loughborough have to say about the doctrine of the Trinity and the identity of God? Let him answer us in his own words. Question. What serious objection is there to the doctrine of the Trinity? Answer. There are many objections which we might urge, but on account of our limited space, we shall reduce them to the three following. 1. It is contrary to common sense. 2. It is contrary to scripture. 3. Its origin is pagan and fabulous. These positions we will remark upon briefly in their order. It is not very consonant with common sense to talk of three being one and one being three, or, as some express it, calling God the triune God, or the three-one God. If Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are each God, it would be three gods, for three times one is not one, but three. There's a sense in which they are one, but not one person, as claimed by Trinitarians. To believe that doctrine when reading the scripture, we must believe that God sent himself into the world, died to reconcile the world to himself, raised himself from the dead, ascended to himself in heaven, pleads before himself in heaven to reconcile the world to himself, and is the only mediator between man and himself. It would not do to substitute the human nature of Christ, according to the Trinitarians, as the mediator, for Clark says, Human blood can no more appease God than swine's blood. Commentary on 2 Samuel 21.10 We must believe also that in the garden, God prayed to himself, if it were possible, to let the cup pass from himself, and a thousand other such absurdities. This doctrine of the Trinity was brought into the church about the same time with image worship and keeping the day of the sun, and is but Persian doctrine remodeled, 
it occupied about 300 years from its introduction to bring the doctrine to what it is now. It was commenced about 325 AD and was not completed till 681. It was adopted in Spain in 589, in England in 596, in Africa in 534. J.N. Loughborough, Review and Herald, November 5, 1861. The Spirit of God is spoken of in the Scriptures as God's representative, the power by which He works, the agency by which all things are upheld. This is clearly expressed by the psalmist, Psalm 139, 7-10. We learn from this language that when we speak of the Spirit of God, we are really speaking of His presence and power. J.N. Loughborough, Review and Herald, September 20, 1898. From these passages, among many others, we see how J.N. Loughborough, who was raised a Methodist Trinitarian, had come to understand the biblical teaching of God and His Son, which he continued to uphold until the day he died at the old age of 92. Joseph Wagner accepted the Adventist message in December 1851 and became one of the church's leading pioneers. Being a master of Greek and Hebrew, he was recognized for his theological soundness, thus becoming the first editor of both the Pacific Health Journal and the American Sentinel. His understanding of the scripture was an inspiration to many, including his own son, E.J. Wagner, as well as Alonzo T. Jones. And what did he have to say about the doctrine of the Trinity? Let his own published writings give us the answer. Many theologians really think that the atonement, in respect to its dignity and efficacy, rests upon the doctrine of a trinity. But we fail to see any connection between the two. To the contrary, the advocates of that doctrine really fall into the difficulty which they seem anxious to avoid. Their difficulty consists in this. They take the denial of a trinity to be equivalent to a denial of the divinity of Christ. Were that the case, we should cling to the doctrine of a trinity as tenaciously as we can. But it is not the case. They, who have read our remarks on the death of the Son of God, know that we firmly believe in the divinity of Christ. But we cannot accept the idea of a trinity as it is held by Trinitarians without giving up our claim on the dignity of the sacrifice made for our redemption. J. H. Wagner, The Atonement in the Light of Nature and Revelation, pages 164 and 165. There were some very early that turned the doctrine of the Trinity into tritheism, and instead of three divine persons under the economy of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, brought in three collateral, coordinate, and self-originated beings, making them three absolute and independent principles without any relation of Father or Son, which is the most proper notion of three gods. J. H. Wagner, Thoughts on Baptism, page 180. The distinction between Christ and the true God is most clearly shown by the Savior's own words in John 17:3, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Much stress is laid on Isaiah 9-6 as proving a trinity, which we have before quoted as referring to our high priest who shed his blood for us. 
The advocates of that theory will say that it refers to a trinity because Christ is called the Everlasting Father. But for this reason, with others, we affirm that it can have no reference to a trinity. Is Christ the Father in the trinity? If so, how is he the Son? Or if he is both Father and Son, how can there be a trinity? For a trinity is three persons. To recognize a trinity, the distinction between the Father and Son must be preserved. Christ is called the second person in the Trinity. But if this text proves a trinity or refers to it at all, it proves that he is not the second but the first. And if he is the first, who is the second? It is very plain that this text has no reference to such a doctrine. J. H. Wagner, The Atonement in the Light of Nature and Revelation, page 168 and 169. These passages show that Wagner did not uphold the doctrine of the Trinity, for this doctrine does not hold true to the teachings of Scripture. He, as all the other Adventists of his time, believed in the only true God and Jesus Christ, his divine Son, whom he sent. Uriah Smith was an upright and intelligent man who joined the Sabbath-keeping Adventists in 1852. He was quickly recognized for his excellency in study and the resulting deep biblical understanding he acquired. It wasn't long before he became a significant figure in the leadership of the church. Smith was the first General Conference Secretary, and for nearly half a century he was either the editor or an esteemed editorial staff member of the well-known Review and Herald. As one of the church's most recognized and prolific writers, let us examine his published works as they pertain to the identity of God and Christ. The scriptures nowhere speak of Christ as a created being, but on the contrary plainly state that he was begotten of the Father. But while as the Son he does not possess a co-eternity of past existence with the Father, the beginning of his existence as the begotten of the Father antedates the entire work of creation, in relation to which he stands as joint creator with God. Christ himself declares that, As the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. The Father has highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. And the Father himself says, Let all the angels of God worship him. These testimonies show that Christ is now an object of worship equally with the Father, but they do not prove that with him he holds an eternity of past existence. Thoughts on the Book of Daniel and the Revelation, page 430. God alone is without beginning. At the earliest epoch, when a beginning could be, a period so remote that to finite minds it is essentially eternity, appeared the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This uncreated Word was the Being who, in the fullness of time, was made flesh and dwelt among us. His beginning was not like that of any other being in the universe. It was set forth in the mysterious expressions, His 
that is, God's only begotten Son, the only begotten of the Father, and I proceeded forth and came from God. Thus it appears that by some divine impulse or process, not creation, known only to omniscience, and possibly only to omnipotence, the Son of God appeared. Looking unto Jesus, page 10. J.W.W. asks, Are we to understand that the Holy Ghost is a person the same as the Father and the Son? Some claim that it is, others that it is not. Answer. The terms Holy Ghost are a harsh and repulsive translation. It should be Holy Spirit, Hagion Numa, in every instance. This Spirit is the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit being the same, whether it is spoken of as pertaining to God or Christ. But respecting this Spirit, the Bible uses expressions which cannot be harmonized with the idea that it is a person like the Father and the Son. Whether it is shown to be a divine influence from them both, the medium which represents their presence and by which they have knowledge and power through all the universe when not personally present. Christ is a person, now officiating as priest in the sanctuary in heaven, and yet he says that wherever two or three are gathered in his name, he is there in the midst. How? Not personally, but by his Spirit. In one of Christ's discourses, John 14-16, this Spirit is personified as the Comforter, and as such has the personal and relative pronouns he, him, and whom applied to it. But usually it is spoken of in a way to show that it cannot be a person like the Father and the Son. Review and Herald, October 28, 1890 These passages, among many others, attest to Uriah Smith's beliefs which were also shared by the members of the Seventh-day Adventist movement of the time, at large, upholding the biblical truth of the only true God, His Son Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. All of these statements unequivocally show us that many of the pioneers of the Seventh-day Adventist Church did not uphold the doctrine of the Trinity. It is for this very reason that the following statement was published in Ministry Magazine in October of 1993. Most of the founders of Seventh-day Adventism would not be able to join the church today if they had to subscribe to the denomination's fundamental beliefs. More specifically, most would not be able to agree to belief number two, which deals with the doctrine of the Trinity. It is evident that the fundamental beliefs of the church have been changed over the years, but there are important questions that need to be answered. What is it that the early Adventist church defined collectively as a fundamental principle about God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit? And when did the doctrine of the Trinity become the official fundamental belief of the church? We're going to leave personal opinions aside and allow historical facts to give us these answers. The fundamental principles of the Adventist Church were first printed in 1872. They were updated in 1889 and reprinted in 1905 and 1914. 
Throughout the entire period, the belief about who God is and who His Son is did not change. Here's what the Adventists of that time believed. Number one, that there is one God, a personal spiritual being, the creator of all things, omnipotent, omniscient, and eternal, infinite in wisdom, holiness, justice, goodness, truth, and mercy, unchangeable and everywhere present by His representative, the Holy Spirit. Number two, that there is one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Eternal Father, the one by whom God created all things and by whom they do consist. These principles are clearly non-Trinitarian in nature, indicating that there is one personal God, the Eternal Father, and not three persons as the Trinity doctrine outlines. The principles describe our Lord Jesus Christ to be the Son of the Eternal Father, by whom God created all things and through whom they do consist. His sonship was not recognized as metaphorical, but it was rather understood literally. The Holy Spirit was believed to be God's representative, His omnipresence, and not an individual like the Father and the Son. As mentioned earlier, these principles were continually reprinted by the Church, for it is what the denomination, including Ellen White, who was an active member of the Church, believed at that time. As it was stated on the principles themselves, there was entire unanimity throughout the body with respect to these beliefs. However, the doctrine of the Trinity was officially voted into the present-day Seventh-day Adventist fundamental beliefs during the 1980 General Conference session in Dallas, Texas, many, many years after Ellen White and the pioneers had passed away. This factual historical information can only lead us to conclude one of two things. Either the Seventh-day Adventist Church in the time of Ellen White and the pioneers did not understand God correctly, or the current set of fundamental beliefs, which include the doctrine of the Trinity, does not reflect the teaching of the Bible, thus meaning that the Church has stepped off the platform of truth which God Himself established. Friends, may God lead you to the truth on this topic and to an understanding of the importance of these precious words. And this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. Standing on the Platform of Truth Pioneer Health and Missions